occasion would be Sally Smith. Sally's a person that has come to church every Sunday. Uh, and matter of fact, she so desires to have a personal relationship with Jesus that she's walked the aisle and been baptized at least four times just to make sure. Every class that we have offered on anything, she is there. Sunday after Sunday, she's feverishly taking notes to be able to prove herself worthy of being a follower of Jesus Christ. May I suggest this? Both extremes are unbiblical. And we're going to kind of dive into that this morning. But I want you to think about what side do you have a tendency to drift towards? I'll be real Ollie's side. Done kind of guy. Uh, my athletic background drives me to try to accomplish things to prove my worthiness of the gospel. I want to be doing something for Jesus, but I certainly go to that side of the equation where I'm trying so hard to make myself worthy that I wear myself out. If you are on either of those extremes, may I suggest that you may not understand the gospel in its entirety. The title of today's sermon is From Works to Works. From works, we've been saved from works so that we can participate in the works that God has preordained for us to participate in. The key verse that I want you to keep in the back of your mind today is John 15, 5. These are the words of Jesus. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do... Like me that shifts to the Sally side of the equation of trying to constantly prove my worthiness of the gospel, I have to remember this verse. Apart from Jesus Christ, I can do nothing. I think all of us would do well to remember that. That uh, apart from... Abiding in the vine, we can do nothing. Why? Because as we've seen in weeks past, what the gospel is revealed about ourselves is that we are dead. Jesus is the vine. He is the life giver. And unless we stay plugged into that, we will never receive the, the spiritual nutrients, the life nutrients we need to accomplish anything. Last week, we completed Operation Christmas Child on Monday. I am pleased to announce that we collected 1,849 boxes to go to children all around the world. Uh, that is almost double the amount that we received last year. So 1,849 children somewhere in this globe will see a, receive a box through the ministry of this church that will show them the love of Christ and Lord willing, give the opportunity for somebody to present the gospel to them and their families. Matter of fact, one of the coolest stories that come, has come out of uh, us being a drop-off location is that one young lady was responsible for 600 of those boxes. But here's the rest of the story. She was also the recipient of a box herself many years ago. And God has brought her to the United States and she wanted to participate in that. And so she helped collect 600 boxes and brought them in this week. 1,849 children that will be able to experience the touch of the love of Christ through the ministry and outreach of this church. Let me ask you this. Those 1,849 boxes have gone to a warehouse somewhere. If word came back to us that those boxes stayed in that warehouse, how would that make you feel? That they never made it to the 1,849 children that need them. How would that make you feel? I'd be pretty frustrated. Matter of fact, so frustrated that I would be pretty cautious about even participating next year. And I think you would be as well. 
But let me just ask you this. Is not the gospel of Jesus Christ the same thing? Is not the gospel that we have given to us, the gospel that has transformed us, is it not a package that has been prepackaged in the name of every single person that has ever lived and every single person that will live that's simply waiting to be delivered? Is not that gospel sitting in pews this morning with somebody else's name on it that God has preordained you to take to somebody else? We need to understand that the gospel that has transformed our lives has saved us from works. I don't think any of us would disagree that it has saved us from works, that there's nothing that we can do to earn it. I think all of us understand that in one way, shape, or form. We understand Ephesians 2, 8, 9 that says, For by grace, it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. And that it is not of our own doing, because it is a gift of God that is not the result of works, so that nobody can boast. Could you imagine what it would be like in heaven if we got there and we were boasting about how we got there? And, and, and I see John Roby up there. I go, hey, John, hey, let me tell you how I got there. And John goes, man, Dave, that's nothing. Let me tell you how I got there. You see, that's what we say. We, it's not a result of works. We can do nothing to obtain that gift. And there's no reason for boasting. Why? Because we're all dead, right? The gospel tells us we are dead, absolutely, utterly hopeless. And what good can a dead person do? Nothing. For apart from Christ, we can do no good thing. The gospel is not something that we can earn. It is a gift. And, and, and we have to choose to receive it. Let me see if I can illustrate it in a different way that may hit more close to home. I want you to assume with me that you have a medical illness. And because of all the, the testing you should have to have done, the surgeries that you have, your medical bills have gotten so ridiculous that you actually have absolutely no hope of ever paying for them. None whatsoever. As a matter of fact, even, even though you desire to pay them all off and you have worked closely with the hospital to try to pay them off, the hospital has given it to a collection agency. Now, I hope you've never had the experience of having to deal with a collection agency, but they are let's just say not very nice and rather aggressive. And so let's say the collection agency has put a garnish on your paycheck. You're already having a hard time paying your bills, but now you can't even pay the most basic of your bills, including your mortgage. And now they put a lien on your mortgage and, and it's just compounded things so much that there's no way, there's no hope that you are ever going to pay those bills. But let's just say somebody in our church has been blessed with an inheritance and they have heard of your story and they come and choose to sit down with you and they said hey uh, tell me how bad it is let me see all of your bills and you're thinking I don't know what this person is thinking there's no way they're gonna be help me but what do I have to lose and you pour it out on the table let's say it's millions and millions of dollars and they get out their checkbook and they write in your name the total balance for every single bill and they put it on the table. What are you going to do? I expect half of you are going, I'd take it. And other half of you are going, I don't know if I could justify taking that money from them. But let me ask you this question. How good does that check do sitting on the table? It doesn't do you any good, does it? They desire to give it to you. It is a gift they're saying comes with no strings attached. But until you receive it as a gift, and then apply it towards your debt, it does you no good. 
The gospel is the same. The gospel is this check that has been written in everybody's name, this gift that is available and pre-wrapped in everybody's name, but by grace. And then through faith, we receive it as a gift. So it can be applied to our eternal debt so that we do not have to take the entire wrath of God on our shoulders. It is not, there's nothing we can do to deserve it. If you're like Sally Smith, and in your mind, you all would constantly feel that I've got to do something to repay that. I've got to do something to show myself worthy of that. Let me just tell you this, that your radical transformation begins with this. Your radical death to self. John 15, 5. For apart from Christ, we can do what? Nothing. We are saved by grace through faith. It is a gift that God has blessed with. But not only have we been saved from works, we've been saved to works. And, and we need to understand the difference of the word works, because it's used in one hand in the New Testament in a negative way, and the other hand it's used in a positive way. And I think we often confuse the two. The works in a negative way is there's nothing that we can do to attain the free gift of salvation that God has already written in advance. And by the way, as we said last week, it's not free and it cost him everything and it requires us, as we saw last week, to give up everything like the treasure that was buried in the field because it is worth everything that we have. We're dead in our transgressions and how much do dead people possess? Nothing. So really... What are we really giving up? We're giving up everything, but everything times nothing equals what? Everything. I was a dumb jock. You figure that one out later. But we were saved from works to works. Let's go back to the person who pays the medical bills and let's tweak the story a little bit. Here's this person sitting across from the table. They're writing this check in your name. It is this gift that they want to give you, but you need to receive it in order for it to be applied by your debt. That's what the gospel is. We need to receive it, apply it towards our debt. We know Ephesians 2, 8, 9 very well, right? But do you know verse 10? For by grace we're saved through faith, and it's not a result of works. It's not of ourselves so that we can boast. Here's what verse 10 says. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do what? For good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're saved from, by grace, through faith, because it's a gift, we can't do it on our own, so that we can participate in the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to participate in. There are the the works that lead to trying to make our way to salvation and the works that God has prepared in advance for us. We see this all throughout the Old Testament, talking about these two. James is probably one of the ones that's most familiar, saying faith without works is dead. In James 2, verses 14 through 17, this is what he says. Hey, what, is, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but he does not have works? What, what good is that? Can that kind of faith save him is the question that James is proposing. If a brother or sister who is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food were to come up to you and ask you and say, hey, I need some help, and you respond, you know what, hey, go in peace 
Hey, be warmed and let your stomach be filled without giving them anything. What good is that? And James says this, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is what? Dead. The gospel of Jesus Christ saves us from working and it transforms us so that we can participate in the works of Jesus Christ, that there is fruit in our lives so that we can not be the Sammy Smiths who think that, hey, I'm good, I've got salvation, I can sit on the pew for the rest of my life and do nothing. And on the other extreme that we have to work for it, it is, saves us from working for it so that we can participate in the works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. May I suggest that the works that God has prepared in advance for us to do is to carry the good news of Jesus Christ to all nations. Have you ever considered that? I think we often think about the works of what are the small details that God wants me to do today. If we would just think about God's mission for the church is to carry the good news and make disciples of all nations, perhaps we would understand a little bit more of the works that God has already prepared for us to do. So let's come back to the story of the check. Let's say that the person uh, who wants to pay off your debt is unable to come to you. And they have done all the research. They know down to the last penny how much you owe. But they decide that in their place, they are going to send somebody else, somebody else that they've also helped get out of debt. They're going to write the check in your name, give it to this person to come and bring it to you. So you with me? So this person along the way, it's Thanksgiving, they stop at grandma's house because grandma has the best sweet potatoes and so they stop at grandma's house and they start eating sweet potatoes. And then they have to go meet their friends and long story short, they never make it to you with a check. You're oblivious, you didn't even know the check was written and you lose everything. Now you're homeless, don't even have enough food to eat. And later on down the road, you find out that the check was written. It was given to somebody else to bring to you and they never brought it. How would you feel? People, we have got to realize that person that has not brought the check is you and me. God has commanded us to be disciple makers of all nations. If we have not shared the good news of Jesus Christ, we are the person who has not brought the check. I hope that that hits heavy. Because that's the reality. God has saved us from work so that we can participate in the works that he has prepared in advance for us to be a part of. And apart from Jesus Christ, we can't do anything. And we need to ask ourselves, how is God unleashing the church to be a part of his glory? How is God unleashing us individually and corporately as a local body of believers to fulfill the Great Commission, to fulfill the mission that God has given this church to reach and impact 200,000 people by the year 2020. How do we do that? We've got to partner with the works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. 
We've got to realize that the answer to our problems is in the harvest. The answer to our issues here in the church with needing more laborers in the church is to share the good news of Jesus Christ so more people come to faith in Christ, more lives are transformed so that more people can be a part of this local body of believers sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. The answer is in the harvest. Well, guess what? The answers to this country's problems are where? In the harvest. We want to whine and complain about politics and different things, but do you realize the answers in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ? That if we want believers in the White House, if we want believers in our local communities in Congress, that if we would share the good news of Jesus Christ, maybe then, just maybe, some of them would end up in leadership positions. Can I just go one step further? That our crisis globally is in the harvest? That the answers to ISIS is in the harvest? I've, I've just stopped listening to the news altogether this last week. And even reading what people are putting on Facebook altogether. I've just stopped this last week. People are so living in fear that we have forgotten that we have the good news of Jesus Christ in our possession. Now, I am all for protecting ourselves. And I am so thankful for our military that protects us and the lives that are put on the line daily to continue to give us freedom in this country. But do we have got to realize the answer to ISIS is the good news of Jesus Christ. Guess who was the first ISIS leader? Saul right? He was murdering Christians left and right for the sake of what he thought was doing the work of God. What if the church finally dropped to her knees and started praying for a Saul-like conversion for the key leaders in ISIS? What if we stop getting so upset about the refugees that are coming to this country that we realize it was an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We know when we read in the Old Testament that God took the gospel and through the persecution of the church, he scattered the church so that the gospel could go forth. Could the refugee situation be the reverse of that? Could God be taking these Muslim people from all different parts of the world and bringing them to what's supposed to be a Christian nation so we could share the gospel with them so that they can go back and influence their nations for Jesus Christ. We've got to understand that we already have the answers. We've got to understand that the world that we live in is a lost and dying world. That we've been saved from works to participate in the good works that God's already prepared in advance for us to be a part of. And we're getting ready to launch Lottie Moon this next month. We need to understand the seriousness of Lottie Moon. And the reason that we need to be giving to global missions, our goal for Lottie Moon is the same as it was last year. It is to put one missionary family back on the earth, at least one missionary family back on the field. I don't know if you guys realize this, but the IMB is in the process of pulling off the field anywhere between five and 800 people because there's a lack of funds. When the answer to the world's problems is the gospel, and we're pulling that many people just in Southern Baptist culture off the field, something is wrong with us as the church understanding the need to be able to give to global missions. This next slide shows, these next few slides are going to show the lostness of the world. That is the population of all the people groups in the entire world. 7.2 billion people. The slide shows that 4 billion of them are lost. 
Four billion of those people live in a culture where less than 2% of the world that they live in is evangelical. They're lost. Let me put it another way. Four point, almost two billion people will go to hell and experience the entire wrath of God if we remain Sammy Smiths and do nothing. Of that four billion, 196,929 plus people are not even engaged with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not even engaged, and there's no plan to engage them. The world is lost. And we sit in pews Sunday after Sunday, and we do nothing. When we really understand the gospel, and we understand the wrath of God combined with the love of God. We understand the wrath of God is to be poured out on all who have not been pardoned. All who haven't received then understand the love of God. It compels us to do something. When we understand as we looked at last week that the gospel is so valuable. It's worth giving everything up for in order to have. When we understand that there's this many people that are lost and dying. And this many people that there's not even a plan to reach them. It compels us to do something. And you may be saying, well, Dave, there's no way I can go overseas. Well, guess what? You don't have to. My understanding is that there is 196 different nations of the world. Between Richmond, Virginia and Washington, D.C., 194 of those 196 nations are represented from there, just up 95. From Richmond to D.C. We don't have to go around the world to reach the world. God has brought the world here and he continues to do so with this refugee crisis. There are people in our own town from all around the world. Last winter I met a guy that works just down the road from here. Who was in Saddam Hussein's army. Muslim. On the front lines. Dies in our country. Doesn't it make sense? That we try to reach the lost that are right here in an effort to reach the entire world with the gospel. Our desire as a church is to make disciples globally by any means and every means possible. That means that we don't just give to the IMB. It means that that's a launching point. That's a starting point that we've done a phenomenal job of. And I would love us to see uh, put two missionary families back on the field this year. But I would like us to see us going up on 95 quarter, taking day trips to partner with international churches to help them get churches planted for those who are working here that are going to go back to their nations. I would like to see us sending missionaries all around the world, helping plant churches globally so that we can be a part of Changing the world for Jesus Christ. But for us to sit and do nothing when the world is that lost just doesn't seem possible. It doesn't seem like people who have been radically changed to do nothing. And so as we come to our song of invitation, I just wonder what God may be calling you individually to do. What God might be calling us corporately as a body of believers to do. But here's my question. Are you willing to do something this year of God globally? Let's pray. 
Father, I am so thankful for the gospel. I'm so thankful for the power it has to change, for the power it sat over me in my life and the power it still has. Father, I pray that just as you have revealed to me the gospel and its power to transform and the need for the world to be transformed, God, that you would so touch our souls that we have to respond. So God, right now, I pray that you would speak clearly to us individually and clearly to us corporately, that we would get on board with taking this gift that's already been wrapped and is waiting to be taken to those who will experience your entire wrath without it. In Jesus' name.